For me, it felt like the ultimate fulfillment. I felt full. I felt like I'd achieved everything that I came to do. And that is like the pinnacle. Like it's the best feeling on earth, but it's also one of the scariest places you've ever been. And the reason being, the question is what now? And that's when I remember calling my mum after the Olympics and telling her, I'm, I'm done, I'm not doing heptathlon anymore. And she was like, what? What do you mean? You've done it all your life. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm done. That was my last heptathlon. Are you not going to do another one? And I think my family were way more um, upset about it than I was. I was done giving the sport more than I felt it, it was giving back at that moment. is brought to you by Soul CBD. Now I want to chat a little bit about my favorite CBD line because if you've been following Boss Babe for a while then you know how much we love Soul CBD and one of my favorite products is the Calm Capsules and the Strawberry Gummies. Now I actually started taking CBD quite a while ago to help me with stress and trouble sleeping at times and I started getting into the habit of eating two of their strawberry gummies right before bed and it's really helped me get amazing sleep. Not only do I sleep better but I also wake up feeling calm, rested and really ready to take on the day. Also another reason why I love the brand is Soul CBD products are actually grown in the US. They're organically farmed and gluten-free and in addition to all of that all of their products contain zero THC and are tested by a third-party lab so I really just wanted to pop in here and say that if you have any issues with discomfort stress anxiousness or trouble sleeping I highly recommend you try this brand so check out our episode notes to learn more about the products and access our 20% off promo code using boss babe okay so that's 20% off all soul CBD products using the code Code boss babe. A boss babe is unapologetically ambitious and paves the way for herself and other women to rise, keep going, and fighting on. She is on a mission to be her best self in all areas. It's just believing in yourself. Confidently stepping outside her comfort zone to create her own vision of success. Vision of success. Welcome to the Boss Babe Podcast, the place where we share with you the real behind the scenes of building successful businesses, achieving peak performance, and learning how to balance it all. I'm Danielle Canty, co-founder of Boss Babe, and today, joined by two pretty special women, we have Natalie, my co-host over there. What a surprise. You might know her. You guys. And <laughs> our first ever Olympian. Natalie. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> pivoting. What you didn't know about Natalie, that's what this episode is about. Natalie, if you did an Olympic sport, what do you think it would have been? Pole dancing. But I, I'm, I, let's talk to the let's real Let's be athlete. honest, I'm not at that level with pickleball. <laughs> yes. Pole dancing is the furthest I got with the time, my yeah. athletic <laughs> career. Yeah, this is true. But Louise, you're a heptathlete. Yes. 2012. Yes. You were in our London. We're yes. all Brits here. I know. As well. I know this is, is like amazing. Brit school. Yeah. This yeah. Is really how to move to LA. Exactly. One hundred one. We should do, and we all came is. on different visas. We should cover that one time. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, like I want to hear about how your journey into um, athletics started. Mm. Um, so I started running when I was 10 years old. In fact, probably earlier than that, if I think about it. Um, I guess my first memory of running was um, sports day. So in the UK, yeah. I don't know whether you guys have it here in the US, but sports day is a big event. Oh, Everybody yeah. has to sprint 
which is weird, right? But and also there's a winner. Like even there's the none parents, of this like give everyone yeah. a badge. When we grow up, it was like there's a freaking winner and there's, there's a, a winner loser. and there's a loser. <laughs> and that's it. If you didn't win, then you lost. And so my earliest memories were winning sports day and not only winning but also beating the boys, mm-hmm. which was a really wow. interesting thing. I'm um, the youngest of three children and I have two older brothers. So being competitive in that environment was that came naturally to me because I was always vying for the top spot with my (laughs) brothers side by side and and by my side um so it wasn't until I was probably a little a bit older maybe 10 years old that I had my first exposure to actual training and my dad was like a really kind of avid and passionate runner when he was young moved to London when he was 17 which is you know very young um and pretty much gave up the sport so I think there was this he was kind of vicariously living through me when he forced me to go to my local running club and explore this natural gift that I had which was speed and so um yeah within maybe a year or so I was running at national championships I was already an area champion in the 100 meters the 200 meters and then I started to take on other events like the long jump which you know naturally lent themselves to the speed that I had and it wasn't until I hit I think it was around about the age of 12 I kind of quickly outgrew the small club that I was at and I moved to a big club, um, which was called Peterborough Athletic Club. And they had a full 400 meter track because at that time I was only sprinting on like a, you know, a short, um, you know, 100 meter racetrack. And uh, that was like when I hit the big time, I would say, when I knew I was like 12 years old, stepped up to a bigger club. And within a year, I was competing um, at the National Schools Championships, which is called English Schools. And I finished fourth in the 100 meters in my first year. And that, that was a com- I was a complete rookie. And so um, the interesting thing to that was to step up on that stage. And all of a sudden, you're, not, you're no longer com- you know, competing in front of your parents and your friends' parents. You're competing against all of the school kids in the, U- in the UK, plus all of their parents and families on looking in a stadium in Sheffield, um, not too far from where you're from, in front of thousands of people, and you're put under pressure and you have to perform. And then the following year, I actually won the gold medal in the 100 metres. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, we, we can talk about, I guess, that transition of how I made it then to the Commonwealth Games, but being a winner and having a real winning mentality was definitely something that came naturally to me yeah and I'm really curious as well because like we talk around um setting goals a lot right you know okay I want to achieve this in my life I want to go into this when did you first start feeling well actually like because you know I feel like saying a goal to go to the Olympics is like Mm. saying okay I want to build a hundred million dollar business like you're at the freaking top of the top of the top Mm. like when did you allow yourself to think do you know what I could go to the Olympics one day I was 10. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was 10. I so remember. you had your sights set on it. Yeah, I just knew. I think at school, the interesting thing is they always try and kind of to usher you into a career path, which is always into employment. And there was really no other word for what I wanted to be other than a sportswoman. And I remember at school, there was this huge poster as I walked into the sports um, hall every day for my PE lessons of Denise Lewis, who was the gold medal Olympic winning heptathlete for Great Britain. And I remember her just looking fierce. Her hair was slicked back. She had this um, like all in one, like tight, like lycra suit. She looked hot. It had one arm missing. And I was like, I want to be like that. And um, fast forward, 
I don't know, eight years later. And I was training in Birmingham with Denise's former coach and um, meeting Denise on the infield for javelin tips. Oh my God, I have chills. Yeah. And so when you set your sights on something um, from a young age, things that seem unobtainable get closer and closer year in year out year of hard work and hard work and hard work and you become closer to that goal without even knowing it and um but yeah it was it's not something that's unattainable for anybody let's talk about that though because you know when you set a dream as a 10 year old to be in the olympics and you know even as you're getting older you know it's like yeah one day i'm going to do this and there might be quite a lot of kids that say that they're going to the olympics Mm. But you kept going and going. And I know that we've had conversations previously around what it took for you Mm. to show up when everyone else was giving up. Mm. Do you want to talk about some of those key pivots that happened in your life that really kind of like showed you that it was time to dig in? Absolutely. You know, I think the most profound moment was um, the loss of my father. And that was in 2008. And 2008 was an Olympic year. Um, I was supposed to make the Olympic team for the first ever time. Um, it was Beijing, both myself and Jessica Ennis, who then went on to win the London 2012 Olympic Games, missed 2008 Olympic Games. She was out due to injury and I completely underperformed. Um, not only did I underperform that year, um, my father passed uh, very early on in the month of May. My lottery funding was withdrawn, um, which is um, basically uh, your national governing body award you funding if you have the potential to go to the Olympics. And so that validation was taken away, that support, financial support was taken away. I was um, finishing my final year exams at university and my kind of whole world, the whole rug just kind of was pulled from beneath my feet and I found myself completely and utterly at rock bottom. And there was this pivotal moment where I had to decide who I was. Was I still the 10-year-old with the dream or was I disheartened was I broken could I recover from this and I remember there being there was no question in my mind whether my journey was going to continue um knowing that it was such a big dream for myself and also for my father um I knew that I had to plow on in spite of the trauma that I'd suffered and um I launched into a huge kind of sponsorship campaign to kind of get my sponsorship back. I took on two part-time jobs. One was at Selfridges, a big shopping center, similar to like Macy's here. Um, So I worked part-time in Selfridges, selling coffee machines. And I worked as a sports scholarship administrator at the University of Birmingham, um, uh, where I was helping the other athletes there get paid for their scholarships and stuff like that. So I learned a ton of administration in this role, which came to serve me later on in life. And then I would go to training twice a day. So I would train in the morning, yeah, and then I would work, and then I'd come back in the evening. And that kind of came up in a conversation we had in another podcast, Danielle, where you're saying you were really about to be at the top of your game, ready to go to the Olympics, applying for that, and then that didn't happen, and you went and took a job at Selfridges and somewhere else, and there was no sense of entitlement, Mm. the world owes me anything, I'm Mm. better than this. It was like, seems like you were like no, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I, yeah. don't get, I don't care, I'm going to get there. How old were you then? 
Um, I'd have been 22 at that age, and it was actually a very humbling experience because my performance was, I would say, average. And it wasn't until the year that I took the two part-time jobs and then went on this fundraising mission, and we called it 12 for 2012. I managed to drum up sponsorship from 12 local sponsors to not only support me for the year uh, 2009, but then to support me all the way to 2012 so that I had the f- financial security to leave the work behind and focus solely on the, on the sport. Um, but yeah, it was humbling. But I also had my biggest breakthrough year, the year when I was stretched beyond my limits, the year when I was programming my own training um, and you know, the year when I believed in myself the most. And on paper, I shouldn't have been able to achieve what I achieved. I went from, you know, scoring a very very mediocre score to coming back um, and coming in and booking my flight to the World Championships, a place where I'd never been in my life. And I actually looked to uh, my former training partner, a lady called Julie Holman. Julie actually went to the Olympics, not in my place, in her own place in 2008, and when she came back from the 2008 Olympics, she was retiring. And I said, don't retire. I want you to coach me. Mm-hmm. And she said, but I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never coached anyone. I said, you know exactly what you're doing because we've been doing this together for the past, you know, five years or whatever. As, but as rivals, you know me as an athlete and you can do this. Mm-hmm. And we teamed up and we worked hard for that year, 2008, right through to 2009. And I went to the World Championships in 2009 and, you know, did personal bests in that competition. And and then a year later, I won the Commonwealth Games. And I always say as well, like, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you really have to go, if you want to be successful, you have to go where 90% of people won't. And that's what we had a conversation as well. We were talking about training and you were kind of sharing the numbers as well for me. Mm. You were like, basically what happens is you're an athlete Mm. is people just start dropping off. They can't go, whether it's like you say, training or funding Mm -hmm. or they're not willing to do two jobs and train twice a day. People Mm -hmm. just start dropping off and so the pool becomes less and less, Mm. which I actually thought was a really interesting take on it. Do you want to explain that better than I have? Absolutely. (laughs) I think you explained it really well. I think it doesn't matter whether you're an Olympian or a businesswoman or an entrepreneur entrepreneur um the further you go down the line the hurdles are not going to get any smaller if anything they just get bigger and what you have to do in order to meet that hurdle where it's at is level up and if you're not prepared or not willing to level up then that hurdle will conquer you and so there were a number of occasions in my athletics career where I recognized this is a level up moment one of them was when my um coach at the time the guy that uh, had coached Denise Lewis to his gold to her gold told me that he didn't want to train me full time twice a day and I'm like I know I have to train twice a day if I want to make it to the Olympics therefore you can't be my coach I need to find someone that will take me to that level and so there were these um you know moments that kind of knocked at the door and I had to answer them every single time with the truth and with my best self and lean on in you know in time in a time when I was you know grieving in a time when I had no funding in a time when I had no support system and it took the utmost perseverance to uh, keep going and build the support network for myself but the thing that you said was was right I noticed um, probably around the age of 15 that athletes that I was competing against in the sprint events were just falling away they all of a sudden wouldn't turn up to training every day. They weren't as committed as they they said they were, or they weren't as committed when they started to lose. Mm -hmm. 
And this was the really interesting thing. I think a testament of your level of success is the way you react when you're losing, not when you're winning. But what is it that changes in you and what is it that is sparked in you when the times get tough? Can you level up? Can you dig deep? Can you find that, that extra little part of yourself and maintain a positive mindset in order to break through to the place where you're supposed to go? And I think that's what being an Olympian is about and that's what being a female entrepreneur is about. Let's take a minute to talk about one of my favorite educational platforms, Masterclass. I have been referring back to this platform for years and I love that you can simply log in and take inspirational classes from world-class coaches no matter where you are. If you haven't explored Masterclass yet, go to masterclass.com slash boss babe and scroll through some of the categories. I think you'll really love what you see. One of the latest classes I tuned into was Anna Winter's class on creativity and leadership. She takes you into her office as Vogue's editor-in-chief and it was so inspiring to learn about her leadership style, team culture, and how she encourages creativity in her team. Not only does Masterclass have tangible business development classes that you can watch at your desk or listen to on the go, but it also includes classes in 10 other categories ranging from food, home and lifestyle, music, wellness, design and so much more. There are over 200 classes to choose from with new classes added every month. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Plus, Every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash boss babe. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash boss babe, masterclass.com slash boss babe. I'm like having chills this entire conversation. So many things that you're saying, it's just, it just solidifies why some people will succeed and why some people won't because at every single stage there's a there's something there's an excuse there's something and it's always so inspiring to hear from people that see those things and are like no I'm gonna do it regardless mm. I have a question that I've always wanted to ask an Olympian so this is a big moment Go for me for <laughs> so you were 10 year old when you decided I want to go to the Olympics mm -hmm. for the majority of people their big life goal is something that they'll achieve when they're 50 60 mm. 70 very much later on in their uh life for you you got there very mm -hmm. very quickly well 17 years yeah <laughs> yeah but in comparison to most people's life school life mm -hmm. goals right like they have this goal of retirement or uh, things that they're thinking about or building a business of exercise and they it, they are doing things to get their stepstones for a long time you got there when you're you were you know pretty young mm -hmm. what was it like to hit that goal to yeah. to hit the goal that that 10 year old little girl wanted to hit you hit it and you were still so young and you have this whole life ahead mm. of you what did that feel like that is a great question Natalie I've never been I've asked been waiting that. To I've ask never the been question. asked that. um I think for a lot of people for me, it felt like the ultimate fulfillment. I felt full. I felt like I'd achieved everything that I came to do. And that is like the pinnacle, like it's the best feeling on earth, mm -hmm. but it's also one of the scariest places you've ever been. And the reason being, the question is what now? Yeah. And that's when I remember calling my mum after the Olympics and telling her, 
I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing heptathlon anymore. And she was like, what? What do you mean? You've done it all your life. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm done. That was my last heptathlon. You're not going to do another one? And I think my family were way more um, upset about it than I was. Yeah. I was done giving the sport more than I felt it, it was giving back at that moment. I'd achieved already, you know, a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games. Like, this is a piece of, of armor that is an, a culmination of all of my hard work, blood, sweat, and tears, a piece of metal that I'll be able to pass on to generations upon generations of my family. And also, my name will go down in the history books as the Commonwealth gold medalist in the heptathlon. Um, and so I was like, well, what more is there to go? I've done the Olympic Games. If I compete or try and start, hang on for another four years and go to Rio in 2016, unless I go and win the thing, my life doesn't change. And also the other thing was I always had this mindset of, of, of track, you know, running and sports and business. And I said to myself, I'm a London 2012 Olympian. This is as marketable as I'm ever going to be. So this is the maximum, like my earnings this year, this is going to be the maximum that I'm ever going to earn in this sport. And as I started to see the sponsors pull out one by one and then go and focus on the Brazilian athletes, I knew that we'd had our run and I knew it was kind of time to bow out gracefully. I think it's really important to know when to go out on top and know when your, your time has come. And that's what I was going to lean on. It's just like it's really important as personal brands as well. Like, you know, you were your business mm. and just being able to look at that very analytical can be actually really challenging. Yeah. So like amazing that you're able to have that. Like, hang on a minute. I'm going to just take emotion aside from this for a second and just see what's on paper and what's going to happen is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And just taking thinking about taking emotion out, I cannot imagine what it was like to walk out in front of your mm. home country mm. with millions of people watching. How on earth did you deal with those nerves? Like, I'm just like, everything you've been doing for four years or 17 years, if you want to look at it like that way, like gearing up to this moment. Mm. Like, well, what the, was your routine for that? <laughs> the, the interesting thing is, um, at the Olympic Games or any championships, what you'll have, um, which you won't know about, um, is the athletics track. And then underneath the stands is almost like a corridor that runs all the way underneath um, the seating area. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Getting some intel. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> I like it. Let's take, for example, the uh, 200 or whatever for the, the Olympic Games. They hold you in these little pig pens underneath the stadium. And so you can hear the crowd roaring Whoa. with whatever's going on outside. It's like someone jumps big and it's a huge roar yeah. of emotion. And you're there and you're just like, okay, and you know, eight minutes, we're going to be on the track setting up our blocks. And for the London Olympic Games, obviously it was a home championships, which made it that much more special. But I didn't realize how special until I was under the stadium. And I remember, because I saw the I spoke to the girl on Instagram the other day, I have my rucksack on and my head's down because I'm focusing on my event. And as I walk through the tunnel, I start to see all of the girls that I competed against that were now volunteers that didn't manage to get to the Olympics and compete. And I bumped into a girl called Nada and she's like, go on Louise, go get them. Oh. And Nada and I had, you know, competed against one another. We'd been teammates. And then you would walk past, you know, another volunteer who didn't know, go on Louise. And so you're walking down this tunnel and say the tunnel is maybe like three or four minutes and there's a person just cheering you on every single time. And then I remember when we actually came out for the hurdles, which was our first event. 
and the heptathlon was the literally the first track event and so I was the first Olympic athlete from Great Britain to enter the stadium in London 2012 and when they saw my vest the crowd went insane because obviously the anticipation and they'd waited for this moment it was like gladiators stepping into the arena it erupted and I was like <laughs> oh shit <laughs> like everyone is watching you and you cannot in your peripheral vision ignore the big screens with your face on you just yeah. can't you're looking at them you're checking your makeup should have done my hair better that day <gasps> and all of a sudden you're lining up and it's set and the moment passes like that wow. yeah it's intense do you do any like breathing exercises before i'm, like, I'm already now in tears and I I am, i've got goosebumps like, and what's crazy what's crazier is i literally watched you you I'm did. Like, I watched you. Yeah. Well, like, I didn't know you at the time. Well, I didn't you know, know you were watching. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, oh, Danielle's watching. I'm going to meet her. Yeah. And so I was years. waving to you in the crowd. <laughs> no, but like, it was everyone in the country was mm -hmm. just like behind all the UK athletes. Yeah. And we were watching and supporting, and every country was probably doing the same. Like, I still watch the Olympics now, you know, mm. even if it's not in the UK. So, did you let that psych you out at all? Like, I feel like sometimes when I'm going on stage, I'm like, okay, don't think about it. I'm just talking to this, like, I'm just talking to Natalie. Even on this podcast, I'm just talking to Natalie and Louise right now. Absolutely. So, like, how, like, I don't know how you block that out. So, I think the weird thing, it's, it's, for me, it's excitement and it's a thrill. And so, being on the big stage is a place where I feel the most at ease and the most at home because I feel drawn to it. It's almost like a threat, you know, um, like a moth to the flame. Um, but there's that moment before you race where there's complete silence and you can hear a pin drop. And um, again, that's the moment where you have the opportunity to potentially doubt yourself mm -hmm. because you're now being asked to react to that gun and not hesitate yes. and not preempt Full the gun. Start. because Exactly. <sighs> And so it's a lot like business. It's about timing. It's about knowing when to push, knowing when to hold back, literally knowing when to push your luck and ask for more or ask, you know, ask for more than you deserve or knowing when the right time is to make your move or your pitch. Um, and so sport is very much for me, like it's an art form. And the timing of a race, it's like for exactly, you know, the hurdles and, and even the 200, you can go out hard even in a sprint race and if you go out too hard, you tighten up. And so the key to running a perfect race or executing, especially when there's tons of pressure, is like a relaxed aggression and flow and finding what that flow mode is. And so there are tons of techniques that I used to use. A lot of them was, was positive self-talk or even just um, I would have these patterns. For, so, for example, in the hurdles, it was short first stride, drive, drive, drive. And that, to me, was a very calming um, uh, mechanism yeah it's very centering and so I knew exactly how I had to execute the race if I just went back and repeated this one thing to myself and did you have any specific routines or rituals that you would do before a race so the night before um this is a funny one I I'm would ready. always like I'd have the what I call the big shave so um maybe three days out from a competition I'd kind of let all my body hair grow out and I'm quite like you know fair skin and dark haired 
So I would basically shave arm hair, body hair, anything that could be caught on camera. It's going. And then um, <laughs> after the big oh, shave, because you typically, you you might be sharing a room or whatever. Um, and then I would put my kit on. And then in the bathroom, I would just find a mirror and then I would just kind of do some affirmations and just really visualize like my my whole competition. I'd be like, this is how the hurdle's going to go. This is how the high jump's going to feel. And so I would see myself um, executing and winning and performing well and the timing and the rhythm and I would play it through. It's bloody exhausting. Mm. Like you're doing a mental heptathlon before you've done one. But so powerful and something that majority of sports people do do we talk about that and how you can do that in business as mm -hmm. well like whenever we're speaking um I really try and like visualize what it's gonna be like walking out onto stage like what the light's gonna be like we've been doing a lot of virtual and just really kind of like prepping yourself and mm. I think that's a tool that's taught to a lot of sports people but not really transitioned into other areas of your life and you really can do it yeah, yeah my husband was a professional gamer and he said the same thing before every game um, when he'd go out, he would visualize going out on stage, playing the entire game in his head, all the little things that was going to happen. And he said that generally is exactly how it went because mm -hmm. he was just so good at visualizing it. Okay, you guys, I'm just interrupting this episode real quick because I don't want you to miss out on this. You're getting to know Louise pretty well and you're probably understanding that she is a pretty phenomenal woman. And you're probably thinking, how do I be more like her? How do I have this mindset of determination? How do I become not necessarily an Olympic athlete, but how do I achieve the goals that I go after? And let me tell you, we have just the place because we twisted Louise's arm. We were like, Louise, you have so many amazing things. You know exactly how to set goals. You know how to create annual plans. You know how to identify your end game. You know how to increase your mental endurance. We would love you to teach this to the women of the society. So drum roll, please. Louise has actually come in and taught a masterclass called Learn Goal Setting from a Gold Medalist because so many of you will set goals and you just won't achieve them. That's the facts of it. And that's not how we play in the society. We want to equip you with the tools that you need to make sure not only you set the goals, but you actually achieve them too. So if this sounds like something that's up your alley, if you're like, do you know what? I've been faffing around for so long wanting to start that business, wanting to achieve that next mindset plan, like all these things that you want to do. If you want to understand how to show up for yourself daily, if you want to maximize your chances of success, if you want to create a winning mindset and you want to learn how to apply theories of periodization to you and your business, then join us. All you need to do is sign up at bossbabe forward slash join society. It's less than a latte a month, you guys. Okay, so that's bossbabe forward slash join society and join us in there. So without further ado, I'm going to let us dive back into this episode with Louise because there's so much more to learn but in the meantime make sure you follow that link and join us in there so I want to go back to you you know being there at 27 for most people they would never have to think about that level of kind of self-reinvention mm. at that age yeah what was that like because you said you called your parents you're like I'm done so that was like closing one chapter and opening this full blank chapter where you have a ton of experience behind you, but it must have felt like, who am I now? 
who am I mm. without being this the athlete doing you know training twice a day who am I yeah absolutely I think a lot of athletes fall into that trap of identity crisis Mm -hmm. who am I now I'm not running now I'm not throwing a ball and for me it was quite the opposite I was like I'm more than an athlete and this is why I choose to leave the sport or dump the sport the sport isn't dumping me and so there was something very empowering about that whereas I'd seen other teammates get dumped by the sport or have Mm -hmm. to leave through injury which is the often when you find the saddest stories in sport is when it's not your choice And so I would say to people um, in business, if it comes to work or whatever. Like like leaving that career. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Take ownership of your own career. Make your own decisions um, and do them preemptively. Think about and keep your eye on the future. But I think knowing that I was more than an athlete and I somehow had this feeling I had more to give and more to offer the world. And it wasn't until I'd um, retired from sport that I was able to sit down with myself and let it come. And the answer came in my programming. You know, the skill that I was left behind was this weird and innate ability to, to program training programs. And before I even had a personal training qualification, I was like, I need to get everything that I've learned about training down on paper. And I created a plan um, that was 12 months long and it was called the podium effect. And you now know it as Slay. So So that's where the Slay empire began. Absolutely. And what's that journey looked like? Since a hot then. mess. Um, <laughs> I love it. As with any business, it's yep. like a squiggle. There's no r- real rhyme nor reason. Yep. Um, there has only really been my overarching vision, and that was to create sustainable training for women across the world. Um, to get women to understand that there is tr- there's exercise and there's training. Exercise is very unstructured. Um, can be very random, can be very un- enjoyable, um, but it also keeps you in this hamster wheel of no progress. In fact, you will see progress through doing exercise initially, and then you'll start to feel frustrated. And um, you know, all of the people that I was coming into contact with through personal training were feeling frustrated. And I'm like, the reason you're feeling frustrated is because you don't have a plan. Mm-hmm. Training, on the other hand, is structured. Um, it can be rigid, but it can be very um, enjoyable and still very fun because you're constantly learning how to self-improve. And so for those people who are very goal-driven um, and always looking to kind of go one better, um, always looking to upskill, I would say the thing that hasn't really been presented to them is the option to to train and improve their their bodies and there are so many other benefits, you know, mental, physical and social well, uh, benefits of of engaging in training over exercise. I mean, you know, we've met up a couple of times because I literally came and trained with you, which yes, was so did. fun. I'm literally moving so I can be closer to Louise for training. <laughs> um, I thought you... that was very brave, by the way. I would be terrified to train with an Olympian. Wow. Exactly. Most people I was, are. A I bit, was like, there's a bit of trepidation, but this one, I was just I jumped in. Been yeah. very I scared. mean, I just like, I'm one of those people that I'm like, I'm going to say yes to this opportunity. You don't get this opportunity very often. I'm coming yeah. along. But what you said to me, which really made me think, and I actually have not heard you explain it that exercise and training and I'm definitely that one who's exercised and felt like they've not got anywhere um but you said to me you're like okay when you train for the Olympics you say this is my target and then you work back
backwards from there, mm. which I feel like not many trainers actually do with people. You don't mm. say, okay, what are your targets? Let's work this back week on week on week on week. Okay, this is where we're starting. So this is what it needs to look like. Absolutely. The penny dropped for me. I was like, oh, all these years, this is where I've been going up wrong. Absolutely. So yeah, I'm moving closer so I can train. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, you. I need so to. you can slay. <laughs> yeah, so um, I can slay, exactly. But yeah, that sense of, you know, setting your sights on a goal. And then once you set your sights on the goal, everything else that you need to do falls into place. Um, and I hate weight goals, but let's face it, like, you know, most women set themselves a weight goal, losing 10 pounds. Great. I want to lose 10 pounds in a month. Okay, great. That breaks down to like two pounds a week. How are we going to lose two pounds a week? What, how, what's the calorie expenditure? What does your diet need to look like? How many, you know, what does your l- workout need to look like? Do you just want to lose the 10 pounds or do you want to gain strength? Because that's a completely different program that might take us um, two months instead of one month. And so, um, you know, very much of, uh, being able to map back is where my brain is. And it's a geeky, weird, weird kind of skill that I never thought I would would end up with and a purpose that I never thought that I would be here to deliver. And I was like, oh, like I never thought that I would be an Olympian and a gold medalist, but then I would use all of that knowledge that I'd learned and absorbed from all of the coaches that I was around and then create my own thing from it and then be able to touch so many women in so many different ways and empower them to press forward with their health and fitness goals, but in a way that gives them strength and um, empowers them in their everyday lives too. It's, um, yeah, I feel very privileged and very blessed. And the beauty of it is, like you say, that's a transferable skill, not just from like physical exercise, but you're teaching a society masterclass on this because, you know, it is so powerful, like setting those targets and working back and understanding, okay, what's going to come up for me? Okay, what about resilience? And Mm. I know like in the uh, masterclass, you're really sharing, you know, these skills that you've learned as an athlete, but actually really, really play into being an ambitious woman, whether you're building your own business or you wanting to do that career move Mm -hmm. because I was like, feel like I'm getting a broken record I have said this so many times but you've got to be able to go where no one else can go in all of these things yeah and you have to have that mental strength to do that absolutely and I always whenever somebody walks into the gym um I'm always sizing them up and I'm thinking oh yeah you're a heptathlete that I competed against you're a shot putter that I competed against and so um when you talk about transferable skills I, I there's a part of me that like hates the term transferable skills I just think skills. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you're either aggressive or you're not. Do you know what I mean? You're either organized or you're not. Your skills are complete. And that doesn't mean that you're not other things. It's like knowing exactly what your skills are and leaning into them in every single area of your life. If you're highly organized, then you can like highly organize your fridge. You can highly organize like your clothing to go go and work out. And, um, you know, these things will lend itself. It's more a case of are you necessarily, are you showing up here in your working life organized? And are you showing up as a hot mess when you hit the gym? Mm -hmm. And so really it's very much about um, leaning into your skill set and knowing exactly what makes you like a G, like what makes you stand out from everybody else and um, and lean into that because I never in my mind once said that I was a shot putter. I always said I was a heptathlete. The shot put was just one of the heptathlon events, you know. I had to do it and I had to be good enough at it in order to win in the heptathlon. And so I needed to show up 
in the shop put as if I was the best shop putter in the world, even <laughs> though I knew I wasn't. <laughs> and what does training look like for you now? I'm really curious. Um, good question, Nat. Um, not as good as it was when I was training for the Olympics. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that is, is, is you know, is, is my heart is being able to serve other people. And I feel so privileged to be able to do that. Um, but as a result of serving other people, I think serving myself often takes the back seat. Mm -hmm. And so I'm now at that place in my life where I'm trying to find the daily balance of serving myself and filling my own cup and keeping it full so that I can pour into others every single day. And then also pour into, into the business as well. And so I don't think that we ever fully figure this out because I think that that balance and the the amount of pouring um, changes. It can change week to week. It can change day to day. But being very mindful of the fact that it's um, really important for me to keep my, my cup full so that I can serve people to the best of my ability is something that um, I hope to kind of keep nurturing and growing. So, yeah. I love that. I think that's such a like good quality to have in life. I feel like very much what goes around comes around as well. Like you've mm. got that good energy and it comes back. Speaking of, I really want to ask you a bit more juicy gossip about the Olympics because it is it. going on now. Yes. So I want to know, this Olympic village malarkey, oh, good like, one. What what is going on in there right now? What do you think? Like what I know, ever like, what, you can imagine. Is it really <laughs> as scandalous really? as they make it out, or it's, is actually everyone on their best behavior? It's that times ten. So, wow. yes. no. so I have to say, so one of the I don't know whether you know we've all heard stories about the Olympic Village. They're all true. Uh -oh. um, so <laughs> in the Olympic Village, say for example in London 2012, we had our residential building. I remember um, Prince William, Kate and Harry turned up one day to kind of visit mm -hmm. all of us athletes. Anyway, long story short, across the road we had like um, our medical centre where our treatment was, physiotherapies, um, a little gym and then we had like a social area. But in the medical centre there was a bowl and the bowl was full of condoms. Um, no. Yeah. And uh, that bowl was empty within about two days no yeah and so I think one of the kind of <laughs> rites of passage in the Olympic Games is that everyone seems to think that it's going to be this absolute like orgy yes this complete orgy <laughs> and so Olympic orgy exactly and it is competitive um I'm not going to tell you which nation comes out on top excuse no. the pun but um the reality wait there's is, a specific nation that comes out oh, on top us. I couldn't possibly divulge. Why um, not? But is there couldn't, one? I couldn't reveal my sources. Uh, well, Hang on, what, you, what clarifies the, that they, they come out on top or not? So the interesting thing is, so there's a natural kind of hierarchy. When you think about sports and the nature of competition, uh -huh. there are natural alphas. There uh -huh. are alpha males, there are alpha females. When you put all of those alphas in one village amongst the best athletes of the world, it becomes a breeding pot. And what happens oh is, God. you know, the, I think the swimming and the um, gymnastics is I'm first. So as the competitions start to conclude, the parties start to happen. Yeah. So what happened in London, for example, is you finish your competition, 
and you have um, a pass which allows you back into the village and back to compete. And um, it also allows you into a number of nightclubs. And so every night, once you've finished competing, obviously, um, you would take your Olympic pass and it would get you into a number of nightclubs across town, but you would gather in groups of friends um, from you know, rival nations or whatever. And often um, you know, parties would happen and, and people would go out and get drunk and, and have a good time. And then um, there were tales of of um, a very well-known sprinter having multiple women um, back to his hotel room. You could probably Google it. At once. Or guess. Uh, yeah, I think there was a whole team, I think, of Swedish sprinters at one point, female sprinters. Oh, my God, that um, is hilarious. And so there's just, you know, rumours, and it's very entertaining. Um, who knows what's true and what's false? So I mean, it's a sport to Good go. for them, though. They've worked hard for this. Four years. They want th- listen, <laughs> I'm all for it. You've got to take care of yourself. Wait, is it true, though, that you really shouldn't be having sex before your event? Like, well, this like was the interesting like thing. So I remember being, I don't know whether it was Olympics or it was, maybe it was the World Championships, and often a lot of the propositions go on in the food in the canteen. And I remember a proposition <laughs> that I, I received was, um, you know, we should hang out tonight, basically. And I was just like, no, no one does that thing before competition. Oh, no, it's been proven that it's really good for women. It's actually bad for men. So you're good. Oh, okay. I've heard and that so, too, actually. Exactly. So even, you know, there's this bargaining that goes on where... <laughs> You're just like I'm still I'm still good. Like even if this is going to make me run twice as fast, I'm good. Okay, I'm I'm going to press you on this like country thing. Like, what do you mean someone comes out? So let's put it this way: let's look at the top athletes in the world. Typically, um, tend to come from the USA. So the USA are amongst Mm -hmm. the worst team players when it comes to the sex Olympics. (laughs) Good for them. I'm rooting for that. The types of sports you can. Imagine like the sprinters, testosterone, those power events. I need to and get so myself to an Olympic camp. Uh, Just kidding. You're married. Just <laughs> <laughs> seems like fun. Um, uh, so, it. which sport is last in the Olympics? Because I'm going to be watching the Olympics in a whole new light, going like, oh, those swimmers are done. They're you getting late like, tonight. You know what they're getting up to. And the poor, like, is it f- like fields? Like track and field last? I don't know whether we're last. I guess the relays. I feel oh, like relays. the relays conclude yeah. the Olympics, do they? Those poor I mean, must have a lot of tension pent up. Well, yeah. the, exactly. You know, the reality <laughs> of it is they're, they're there for that whole kind of two weeks and, and you know, they're they're the last to compete. So what happens after that? Big party. I just want to be in a camp to observe this. It just seems like hilarious. Well, I will give you this. One of the best after parties I've seen and witnessed was the World Championships in 2009. Um, And this was the year when Usain Bolt broke the world record. You know the one where he's looking around, but there's no one there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Blue (laughs) track. Anyway, I think Jessica and (laughs) I, yeah, we just completed the heptathlon. So we were literally on the start line of that race we were on the track when we saw that world record blow and I remember Dwayne Chambers our athlete was in lane one so we're screaming go on Dwayne but we're not really because we're watching you say (laughs) yeah of course (laughs) anyway the night after because obviously smashed those world records and then um so it was a party and we turned up to this nightclub in Berlin 
flash the passes. Usain's um, agent was there, Ricky, great guy. He's like, girls, come on up, VIP. Of course it's VIP. We walked up to the VIP. There was platters of McDonald's, chicken nuggets oh and fries. <laughs> and then I was just like, what the, this is nuts. I've never seen anything like it. But obviously at the time, Usain was talking so much about how when he goes to foreign countries, I'm just sticking with McDonald's because that's oh, what yeah, I know. That's what I get. It's not gonna mm-hmm. upset my stomach. I thought that was the pinnacle. He then got up and DJ'd for two hours. What? Got up and DJ'd. And if like you've had the pleasure of um, attending a Usain Bolt party, then it's an event you'll you'll never forget. He's he's a lot of fun. He's a great guy. I'm gonna look out for that. I'll get that on my vision board. (laughs) I haven't had an invitation. There's there's still time. There is still time. This was so fun. I felt like I'm gonna be watching the Olympics in a whole new light, quite honestly. I really am. Louise, where can everyone find you? Where can they find out about Slay? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So we offer online training, uh, the Slay Challenge. Which is amazing, by the way. Which is our 21-day Slay Challenge. It takes place once a month. Um, so look out for details of that. Or you can head over to our website, www.slaychallenge.com. You can always find me on Instagram, firing off um, inspirational tweets thanks to these girls <laughs> my content game is going through the roof um You're an you, iik consumer <laughs> absolutely we also have a free trial if anybody literally wants to just jump in yeah. and try that again same website slaychallenge.com and we'll be dropping some really interesting um products coming very very soon so keep your eyes peeled on our social media channels i'm at louise hazel we're going to drop the links below and we'll put a link to your um society masterclass as well i can't freaking wait phenomenal. i can't wait to dive into this masterclass <laughs> oh my god i'm so excited louise thank you so thank much thank you so much you're so welcome